0: Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. So this morning we are wrapping up a series that we have called Live Out Loud. And it's been looking at the Book of Acts and the early church and how they lived out their faith so that we, as 21st century uh, followers, can live out our faith, and particularly as a church. And um, I'm going to say up front this morning that if you haven't been here for the last five or six weeks. Um, Some of this might be like really trying to catch up and get up to speed because we're going to move pretty quickly this morning. Um, But what we're going to do is kind of just look back because what you find in the book of Acts is two key things that we've come up with is, first of all, to understand that the church is the people. It's not the building. It's not the program. It's not the institution. It's the people. The church is the people. And secondly, that they are people with a purpose, people with a mission, That Christ gave his people a mission. And so we are not just people. We are people that are part of a movement. And those have been the two key things that we have looked at throughout this whole series. The church is a movement of people. And the movement that you find is what Jesus told his disciples to do. To be be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And, And actually that's kind of an outline of the whole book. That it begins in Jerusalem, which is a small group of believers. And the book ends in chapter 28 with the Apostle Paul now in Rome, which is the capital of the known world of that time. And so that's what the book of Acts is really about. It's about this movement, fulfilling the commission that Christ gave his church. And, and there are particular hurdles and roadblocks that they had to overcome. Along the way. And, and those are the very same things that we get hung up on today. That the church gets hung up on today. And, and, and that we're going through this whole series so that we as a church together. But also for you as an individual can take that next step. To realize that, that you are part of a movement. This is something bigger than any one of us. That it, it's what God is doing in this world. And each of us have a part in it. And and what we find as we go through not just the first century church, but down through the ages for 2,000 years, the church has continually come up against these kinds of roadblocks and these kinds of hurdles. And at each generation of the church, you need to make decisions. Now, for the last 2,000 years, when the church has forgotten its mission and got sidetracked on other things, all kinds of bad stuff happened. The Crusades the Spanish Inquisition, uh, the Salem witch trials, all of those kinds of things. When the church lost its sense of mission, bad stuff happened. But there has always been this remnant that has kept the mission at the forefront. And when the church has kept its mission at the forefront, when the church has stayed on mission, tremendously good things have happened in this world. And so we now have this responsibility after 2,000 years That now it's up to us. What will we do with what has been entrusted to us? How will we pass this on to keep this message moving forward? How will we pass on, not only just be good stewards of the time that we have, but pass this on to a next generation of Christ followers? Because the decisions that we make and the way that we operate as a church and as individuals will determine if the church moves forward. What got the church past the first century was its commitment to this mission. And so this whole series we've been looking at, what does that look like for us? And today we've got a lot of material to cover. We're going to cover the whole book of Acts, okay? So like I said, if you haven't come, go back and listen to the podcasts because then you'll kind of catch up and this will make a little bit more sense. But we're going to be talking this morning about movement and particular movements that, that the church had to go through at each hurdle. that they understood. And what you find is throughout the book of Acts, there are these summary statements along the way that Luke, who is the writer... Um, every once in a while, stops and says, and and here's kind of an update of where the church is at at this point. And and then they came up against this, and and this is what they did, and and this is the result. And so we're going to look at some of those summary statements as to how the church kept moving forward so that we as a church would keep moving forward. And the very first movement is absolutely crucial, is that we must always keep moving from maintenance to mission. And, And this is really important. We talked about this because... Every organization has this tendency to become inwardly focused and to become all about maintaining what's already here. Who's already here? And the thing that Jesus said was He said, You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, when you read that, let me ask you a question Who is the church for? It's for unchurched people. Because there never was it. They were all unchurched people to start with. And Jesus said from the very, very beginning, this is your mission, to bring this message of God's grace forward. And you're to move it outward from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. That the church's mission is always about those who are not yet here. And, as when, and, and the church has its tendency to become so inwardly focused that we forget that. And that's why we have said from the beginning of the church, we want to be a church for unchurched people. Because truthfully, every one of us at one time or another have been unchurched. And the mission of the church lies beyond itself. And that was the commission that Jesus did. So wholehearted followers of Jesus Christ, this is what what we want to be, are followers who are on mission. Now, I know when some of you hear that, what images come to your mind? You know? White short sleeve shirt with a tie, backpack, riding on a bicycle, going from door to door. You hear mission, and that's kind of what comes. You go, ah, I don't want to do that. That's not it. Okay? Mission is just simply living my life in such a way that it impacts those around me. That being able to share my story with people in such a way that they can respond to that. It's really all about just simply getting out beyond these walls and being out where we live day by day. And some of the things that we do as a church to make that happen, last week is a perfect example of that. Last weekend we had our walk for water so that we would get outside of our four walls and be in the community, raising awareness of the need in Africa for clean, safe drinking water. Tomorrow night, trunk or treat. It's another reason why we do that is to be out in the community. We do trunk or treat to provide for our community a safe place for people to bring their kids and celebrate. Now, we don't do this for ourselves, and I know if if you haven't, by the way, if you have not signed up or registered for a trunk for trunk or treat, it's not too late. You can still go home, do it online, or you can use the insert in the bulletin. You can still get involved. I did this this morning, and in first service, and somebody said, "Well, we, we decided we're going to stop by tomorrow. Um, we don't have a truck decorated. We're just going to put on football jerseys and bring a couple of banners, and we're going to be tailgaters." <laughs> that works, okay? If you don't have a plan, you can do something that. But here, and I know some of you say, "But I don't do Halloween." Listen you are looking at the king of I don't do Halloween, all right? Not because I think there's anything satanic about it. I just don't like dressing up. In fact, up until we started doing trunk or treat, I purposely set a date every Halloween to take my wife out so we wouldn't even have to be home, okay? I mean, I do everything I can to avoid Halloween, to avoid trick-or-treating, okay? I don't do this tomorrow night because I like it. And we are doing it tomorrow night, by the way. I am, I am going to be woody yeah. And my wife is gonna be Jesse, and I got this goofy old cowboy hat that doesn't fit, you know. And I found I found plastic cowboy boots online. So my feet are gonna be really, really sore, I know, okay? I'm not doing this because I enjoy it. I'm doing it because we want to convey to our community that we're about our community. We're not just a group of people that huddle together on Sunday mornings up on the hill but we're involved in our community. Those are some of the ways that we do it as a church. But you do this every day of your life, where you live, where you work, where you go to school. It's simply living with a sense of mission and understanding that God has placed you in your neighborhood or on your job or with that group of co-workers or that group of friends or whatever it might be for a purpose, for a purpose. And and that's just simply what it means. It means living out loud. Here's some things you can do on your own. And this, by the way, is what we're going to do through this whole sermon. I'm going to give you some real practical take-home things that you could possibly do to to keep moving in this direction personally. Getting out in your community. Maybe maybe volunteering at the school. Maybe joining PTA at your kid's school. That's a way to get out into the community. Coach a little league team. Coach a soccer team. Be a team mom. Join Rotary. Rotary. Get out of your little holy huddle. Get out of your little comfortable world and be out meeting and getting to know other people. Widening your circle of friends. It's a very practical ways that you can do this. It says, one of the first summary statements we find is in chapter two. And it says at the end of that first day, the day that the church began, it says about 3,000 were added to their number that day. 3,000 people in one day Heard this message that my life could be made right, that I could be forgiven for whatever I have done, and I could live a new way. And 3,000 people responded to that. In fact, it goes on, verse 47, it says, And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. That God was at work and all that. When the people put themselves out there, when you put yourself out there, God is at work too. And that's really, really important. And and let me say something else, because it's very, very clear throughout the book of Acts. Because you find this over and over again in many of these summary statements, how the church continued to grow. And more people were added to that day. 3,000, 5,000, 1, 2. And here's the thing. God intends for His church to grow. He intends for His church to grow. Throughout the book of Acts, you hear these numbers over and over again. God wants His church to grow numerically. He wants people to hear this message and become a part of His body, to become a part of His new community. How do they know how many people were out of the day? Because somebody counted. Now, it's not numbers for numbers' sake. It's numbers that are people who are turning to God. And, and, and the book of Acts is Unapologetic. That God wants His church to grow and He grows it through His people. And so we must always keep moving from maintenance to mission because our tendency is to drift towards maintenance. So we have to keep ourselves moving towards mission over and over and over again. Another summary statement, Acts 9.31. says, Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria. Do those places sound familiar? Those are the places Jesus talked about. The church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It increased in numbers. God wants His church to grow. Wants His church to be big. He wants people to become a part of His new community. So here's a real simple take-home for you. Every day this week, just begin your day with a simple prayer. Lord, if you could use me today to touch somebody else's life in a meaningful way that helps turn them towards you. Would you, would you open my eyes and open my ears so I could see it and hear it? I mean, just because just, here's what's happened. When you start praying those kinds of prayers, you get those opportunities. Now, I believe you get those opportunities all the time. But when you start praying that prayer, you start opening up your eyes. And, 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 and in those relationships and in those friendships and in those conversations, you can drop hints. You can listen to what's going on in somebody's life. You can, you can offer to pray for them. I mean, there's all kinds of things you can do. But, but it's all about keeping ourselves as individuals on mission and our church together on mission. Keeping moving forward. Keep moving forward from maintenance to mission. And another one that we need to keep moving from casual to committed. See, casual, casual is, yeah, yeah I, I know I ought to read my Bible more, but, you know, I, my life's so busy. Casual is, oh, oh, man, I missed the 11 o'clock service. Oh, well, I'll get it there next week. Casual is, Oh, gosh. tonight's community group but I am so tired it's been such a rough day I just think I'll skip this week see that, that's casual casual is if I have the time if it works out if it's not too much trouble I'll do something and, and that, was not, that was not the mentality of the early church. They were, they were all about, They devoted themselves to these things. They were constantly moving. Now, here's why I say this. Because when we say we want to be a church for unchurched people, I think a lot of people get the impression that that's all we're about. It's just getting converts. But we're not just about getting converts. We are about making disciples. We want to reach unchurched people, but we want to help them become wholehearted followers of Jesus Christ. And so it's and, and it's not an either or it's a both and. We want to do both together. We want to help people who are new believers grow and mature in their faith. And and we do that together as church. And the way that we do it is we provide opportunities. We provide environments. We give chances for people to take part. But here's the thing, you've got to make that decision for yourself. Cuz We can't do it for you. We can provide the opportunities. We can provide the environments. We can open up the doors. But but you have to take the responsibility. Here's something you can do. If you have never been baptized, here's a real simple first step. If you have never been baptized, take a step toward committed and just get baptized. We're planning in the next month or so another baptism. If you have never been baptized, that's a good first step. Now, here's what I get sometimes as pastor. People say things to me, well, you know, I've been a, I've been a believer for so long. Why do I need to get baptized now? Or, or, you know, I've been a Christian for so long and I never got baptized. I'm a little embarrassed to get out there and admit that I never did this. Or, or, or questions like, um, do I really need to do this? I mean, if I don't get baptized, can I still get into heaven? And the answer to that is, yeah, you'll still get into heaven because we're, 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 we're saved by God's grace. But let me ask you this question. If you say you want to be a wholehearted follower of Jesus Christ, and you're unwilling to take a small step of obedience in that direction, what is that saying? See, sometimes people say things like this to me. They say, you know, I'm not sure if I'm ready for that yet. But what you find throughout the book of Acts is this was not something that people worked up to. It was the first step of obedience. It says that those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They took that step. It's not something that you work up to. It's not something that you aspire to. It's a first step of obedience. And if you've never done that, what's stopping you? What's stopping you? Because if you want to be a wholehearted follower, that's one of the very first acts of obedience that he gives to us. So that's a good first step for some of you. For others, it might be just giving yourself to personal devotion, giving yourself um, to developing habits that will help you grow in your faith. It says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Now, here's another way you can do that. Very practical. How many here have a smartphone? iPhone, Android, something like that. Okay, pull it out. You're, you're actually—I'm giving you permission to do that this morning. Okay, there is an app that you can put on your phone. If you don't know where to start, how do how do I should read my Bible? I don't know where to start. Okay, it's called U and there's an app for it. You can shop for it in the App Store. It's uh, it's for every smartphone, iPad. I think it's even for your computer. And 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 here's the thing. U app, Bible app, has. I don't know how many different translations. You can read the Bible on your smartphone in, in King James or, or the message or anything in between. There's all kinds of different ones that you can choose from. And, and there's also a place where you can go to for Bible reading plans. If you don't know where to start or you don't know how to read the Bible, there are plans that they have on here. Um, if you browse them, let me pull them up. They have plans for devotionals. If you just want a devotional each day to read, short little snippet, they have plans for that. They have a partial Bible plan. They have topical plans. They have a read the whole Bible in three years or one year or 90 days. Um, They have all kinds of different reading plans. In fact, I started counting them up. I got to 200 and I just thought, I'm I'm quitting. There, There is a plan for you to start a regular time of Bible reading. And in fact, some of them actually have uh, uh, an audible version. So, so you can put it on in your car and you can listen to the Bible on your way to work. Okay, That's a real convenient way. If you, haven't, if you don't know where to start with your Bible, here's a good starting place for you. And by the way, if you do it this weekend, you can actually download, because most of these are kept off, out in the cloud, wherever the cloud is. But, but if you want to, this weekend, they're actually offering, you can download the whole Bible in the New International Version or, and, or the New Living Translation. This weekend, they're making that available. So if you don't have that app, download it right now. Okay, don't keep looking at it. Put it to the side because we're going to move forward. But here's the idea. They devoted themselves. They moved from a casual thing to a commitment. They gave themselves to these personal habits. They, they took that first step of obedience in baptism. And, and when they were faced with the very first big hurdle, and this is what they first came up against, was threats, intimidation, and persecution. That when they came up against that, the church in Jerusalem, that the authorities came down hard on them. This was going to be the first thing. If they're going to make it out of the first century, you know, how are they going to handle this? And here's what happened. Another summary statement, Acts 8. It says, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered. They were scattered. And notice who was scattered. Not the apostles. It was the people that were scattered. But it goes on in verse 4. It says that those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. It wasn't just the professionals. It wasn't just the apostles. It was the people who got scattered. The way that they handled persecution is that they got scattered, but they kept preaching the word. They were threatened. Don't talk in that guy's name anymore. We don't want to hear anymore about this Jesus. Don't talk about a resurrection. We don't want any more of this nonsense. We're clamping down on you now. It says they just went and spread it somewhere else. They faced the first hurdle, and it didn't stop them. They kept moving it forward. So here's the take-homes for you. Maybe for you it's baptism. Maybe for you it's start developing some habits that will help you grow your faith. Just two simple things you can do. And if you're doing those, then then take it a, a step further. But to keep moving forward, we've got to keep moving from casual to committed. We need to keep moving from autonomy to community. And let me say something about that because that doesn't go over well in the United States because the United States is made up with, with a bunch of rugged individualists. And if you're a baby boomer and you grow up like I did, a lot of leftover hippies around here, okay, and you're not joiners, you know, fight the man, I'm, you know, buck the establishment, okay. Um, we want to we live this whole life by ourselves. But you know what the church has found for 2,000 years from day one that discipleship happens best in community, it happens best with other believers. It says they continued to meet together in the temple courts and they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. That discipleship is not a solo activity. It's what you do together. And it says they gathered together in large congregation and temple and in their homes in smaller groups. And that's why we've set up our community groups that way. That, that you be a part of Sunday morning celebration and worship together and, and a time of teaching. But then, then you know what? We, here's how we've set up our community groups. That online every week, we publish a list of questions. We have a, a couple of writers who take my sermon notes before the sermon's even finished and somehow decipher it all and, and come up with some questions to help you study. You can go online to our website. You can download the study. You can do the study for yourself. And then take that to your community group and discuss it. Because in half an hour or so on a Sunday morning, we can only do so much. But you take that home, and, and we specifically do it so that what we're talking about on Sunday morning is something that you can go into a community group, and you don't have to be a Bible expert. If you are, that's great, but you don't have to be. And you can, you can get together with other people, and if you paid any attention at all this morning, you could talk intelligibly about it. You could get involved in the discussion. Because here's what the church has found. And when you get together in discussion groups, in smaller groups, you, you, you learn from each other. And, and, and somebody can have a, a perspective or an insight on something that I never thought of. And they say, like, wow, I'd never thought of it that way. That's good stuff. I need to remember that. I write that down. From day one. The church put a priority on gathering together in large group celebration, but also in small group. And it wasn't just just in that church in Jerusalem. It kept going on. In fact, it says in chapter 5, another one of those summary statements, day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news. In a community group, we learn from each other. In a community group, we also build some accountability. One of our community groups, others of of them might do this, but I know one of our community groups, what they do at the end of every lesson is say, okay, what are you going to do this week to put this into your life? And all around the room, everybody's got to do it, okay? And then the next week when they meet, so how did you do this week on what you said you were going to do? Some accountability there. People have to follow through. Now, either everybody's going to do what they're supposed to do or they're just not going to show up to community groups anymore, one or the other, you know? But but the idea is, in a small group, we're held accountable. In a small group, we learn from each other. And here's something else that happened in a small group. And this is by the way, this was another one of the hurdles. That as the church grew, it was was so diverse uh, and socioeconomically diverse. And there were people that had great wealth, and there were people in the church that had nothing. And the big hurdle was going to be, okay, so how are we going to care for each other? How are we going to make sure that people's needs are met? How are we going to do this? And you know what they did? You know how they answered that question? With generosity. It says, it tells us another one of those summary statements. Acts 4. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared whatever they had. See, generosity happens in community. If I'm not in community, I don't have to be generous. I just take care of myself. When I'm in community, I become aware of the needs around me. And you know what happens in a lot of our community groups? In fact, I think in all of our community groups, that people start caring for each other and praying for each other. And when a need comes up, helping meet each other. We have had community groups that help people in their group move. We've had, in fact, I know this firsthand. I've had someone come to me who knows of someone in their community group that's in a desperate financial need. Give me an envelope full of money and say, could you pass this on? I want to do this anonymously. Would you just pass it on because I know they need it. That happens in our community groups. See, what they did was they cared for each other. The big hurdle was how are we going to care for all of these people? We're going to care for each other. And those who had gave. And those who didn't were able to receive and be taken care of. So here's a couple of take-homes from this one to move towards community. Here's one. Make Sunday morning worship a priority. Don't decide on Sunday morning whether you're going to take part in a worship service. Make it a priority. Don't decide when you're going to bed at two in the morning, Saturday night, you decide like at nine o'clock, so you don't go to bed at two in the morning. Sunday morning, okay? You make that a priority. And if you're not in a community group, get connected into a community group. In fact, take out in, on your seat, there's one of these, a little communication card. Pull these out. If you're not in a community group, if you would just fill on the back side, it says, I want to get into a community group. If you will check that, drop it off at the help desk this morning, we will get you connected into a community group so you can experience community like it's meant to be. Now, our groups aren't perfect, they're made up of people. But you aren't either, so you'll fit right in, okay? <laughs> the idea is get connected. Get connected in community. Um, another thing, another thing, systematic giving. Practice generosity. And generosity, by the way, takes practice, if you haven't learned that yet. <laughs> and, and you put it into your budget. This is what my wife and I, we have done this for years since, we, since we've been married. We, we put it into our budget to give, That's a part of our budget. In fact, it's the first thing in our budget. It's the first line item in our budget to give. And we give to our church, and we give to other ministries, and we give to three orphans that we've sponsored. I'm not telling you to do something that we haven't already done and have not had the difficulty in doing it at each step. But we know that the church to move forward has to keep moving forward in all of these areas. And so we have made decisions that will keep us moving forward that way. And you can too. Another way. Keep moving. The church has to keep moving from audience to participants. Because we're not about just getting a crowd together and having an audience. See, what happened in the early church, and this raised another hurdle. The, the hurdle was, how are we going to care for each other? Well, people gave, and gave generously, and needs were met. But, but the things started growing, and it became unmanageable. So now they get to the other hurdle. It's, how are we going to handle all of this? Because this is too big for anybody. I mean, this is huge. And what started to happen is that some members of the church were getting beneficial treatment, and others, not so much. And, of course, when things weren't going right, the early church did what every church does when things aren't going right they complain yeah that's what people do it's what you do it's what i do things aren't going right and they said things like somebody ought to do something about this because that's usually the complaint somebody ought to fix this somebody somebody's not me but somebody ought to you know there's a lot of people here somebody ought to be able to do this and they came to the apostles and they said Listen, this is not working out. The needs and the resources are not being matched up very well. And and it was all up to the apostles up to this point. They were the guys trying to figure this whole thing out. And they weren't doing a very good job of it, which, by the way, pastors don't do a very good job of everything. A lot of things, but not everything. Um, So they said, and here's what the decision was. He said, so chapter 6, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom, we will turn this responsibility over to them and we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. Now, there's a very important principle here. And it's something that we have operated on from day one is that we believe that the members are the ministers. That it's the people that do the work of the ministry. See, what happened was, up until this point, a lot of this was falling on the apostles' shoulders. But they said, you know, we can't. This is too big a thing. We can't, we can't give our time and attention to study and preparation and to prayer and make sure that everything's being done right over here on the resource end of things. And, and so you choose from among yourselves people who will do this. And we'll turn over the responsibility. We'll let go of it. Because we, we're not doing a good job. And people's needs are not getting met the way they should be. So you do it. You take responsibility. And and I think that's one of the movements that has to happen in every church, in every generation, is we have to keep moving from this idea that that it's all about serve me and moving towards I serve you. It gets less of an audience and more and more of an army. And, And here's a very good, easy takeaway. If you are not serving anywhere, either in the church body or out in your community, just find a place to plug in. Do you know, we did this not too long ago, just on any given Sunday morning, there is on average between 40 and 50 people that serve you every Sunday, and it's a different group every Sunday. They rotate. People rotate through. So over a month, you know, we're talking like 160 people minimum, and that's just on Sundays, and there are people who come in and volunteer in the office during the week, and there are people who do and, and you don't it doesn't have to be a spiritual thing. Because well, I don't sing or I'm not very tech savvy, I can't do that, I can't do this. We need people to help in the in the cafe and just serve coffee. You know, or, 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 or be an usher or a greeter. We need people and, and, and even if you have a talent or a skill, we need if you know if you've got background and know anything about gardening and landscaping, we need your help. If you're a carpenter or an electrician or something it works in the trades, we need your help because those kinds of things come up all the time. If you can file, if you're computer savvy, we need your help. And if you're sitting in the audience and you're not participating anyway, a good first step for you in this area is pick an area to serve. And if you don't know where to start, on the back of that Communication card. There's a couple of different suggestions there, things that you might be interested in. If none of those fit you or you just don't know where you plug in, we have a class called The Journey. In fact, we're right in the middle of it right now. And beginning next week, we'll go into that phase. It talks about how to discover your spiritual gifts, how to use your talents for God's work. So you can still get in on that, 6 o'clock tonight. Not too late. But get involved. Do something church moved forward. In fact, because they overcame this hurdle, one of the very next verses says this. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith simply because people stepped up and did the work. It allowed the church to keep growing and expanding. And the last one. To keep moving forward, we need to keep moving from religious performance toward grace. When it came to that point at which the church decided we should not make it hard for those who are turning to God, it changed everything. What they said was, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. There's no insiders, outsiders. There's no first class, second class. It's all by God's grace. Nobody gets in any other way. And for the church to keep moving forward, we must constantly, constantly, constantly be moving away from religious performance toward grace. And here's why this is so important. I want to read you just two stories that I got just this week. And I'm shortening them. I can't read the whole whole thing. Someone wrote this. I was born and brought up in the church and had believed in Jesus most of my life, but as far back as I can remember, it was on auto on an autopilot belief, not a conscious choice. I went to church pretty much every Sunday growing up, but it was to please my parents or to see my friends or do whatever it was I volunteered to do. I never understood it and I never really felt anything for it. Prayers and songs were just a bunch of words. In my teens and twenties, I struggled with self esteem and depression issues. I was married and had a son by the time I was 19. I was divorced two years later and then remarried at 25. My husband at that time was an agnostic and I found it very easy to fall away from the church and to question what I was doing and what I believed. So I stopped going to church altogether. Started listening to the media and questioning the Bible's validity. Personally, it was a rough time for me. I was having panic attacks and I was put on medication and was constantly worrying about everything. I felt very alone and disconnected from everyone. And I divorced again at 31. No one around me understood. It wasn't until I started having conversations with my current husband about his experience with God and his belief in Jesus that things started turning around for me. He had gone through a similar time of disbelief and educated himself and became a Christ follower. At first, we argued a lot, but he never gave up on me. He taught me the things he had learned about the Bible and about being a Christ follower and about having faith, things I had never heard before. So this past year, we made a decision to start attending church together and to see where it took us. By the second month of going to Northgate, I was raising my hand and choosing to ask God for forgiveness and choosing to turn my life towards Jesus and accept his grace. I never knew about grace before, and it has changed my life. No more medication or panic attacks. Not nearly as much stress about things I cannot control because I know that God has my back. In general, I feel more alive and connected with the earth and the people around me. I still have a lot to learn and a lot of questions because it's hard to get rid of 35 years of doubt in nine months. But I know with all my heart that I am on the right path. Yeah. read you another one and this one's longer so i'm shortening it <laughs> my life was pretty normal from birth to 10 years old mom taught us the importance and routine of a mother through her love and caring we pretty much resembled the cleavers mom had her roles dad had his roles and things appeared to be working out just right my parents never brought us to church but when my mom's sister and cousins visit us during the summer my aunt would bring us to the catholic church i think i remember not feeling very comfortable at age seven or eight My dad decided to date a woman during his marriage to my mom. My mom became a very disturbed, depressed person. She never came out of the hurt my dad caused. They divorced when I was 10 years old. But the family never saw the light at the end of the tunnel. It was tarnished forever. My mom's mom pretty much raised us after that. Lots happened. In ninth grade, I was raped by a 22-year-old that my sister let take me into a room. I had no idea what was going on. My parents never found out. Next, in ninth grade, my sister decided I needed a boyfriend because she always had one and fixed me up with an 11th grade boy who got me pregnant two times and made me have an abortion two times. He would say, It's just easy, and we can't tell anyone. At age 19, my sister brought me to a weekend seminar in Santa Cruz through neighborhood church in Castro, Castro Valley. I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior during that weekend. I don't remember much. I know my brain was drained by my childhood, and so I forget a lot. I needed so much counseling that I slipped through the cracks without anyone ever getting close to me and my emotions. I had so many problems and instability, and no adult ever knew how much I was going through on the inside. I don't remember where God fit into my life. I struggled a lot to a lot trying to understand how to grow with Christ and trust going to church. I don't think I felt safe anywhere. It was easier to bike or hike for me. I've hiked for miles in the woods, sometimes bringing people with whom I work out to educate them on the beauty of the outdoors. My husband and I have been together for twelve years now. We got married in two thousand two. We moved in together, and I ne- but I never felt comfortable going to the church. Going to church. Since marriage, we went to a few churches in the Pacifica, San Francisco area, never making a commitment. This is the first church we've committed to. This is a safe place. The Lord sent us here to make our home, our church family home, and to grow in a community as Christians. To serve him and to grow with him as you, our pastor, teaches his word to us. I feel the presence of the Holy Spirit in our church, our church home. Thank you for hearing from the Lord to teach and to love his people. I am so grateful. That's why we must always move from religious performance to grace. Because the truth is, there are hundreds of those stories out here. Some of those stories are yours. And if anybody ever heard your story or knew what you'd gone through or what you had done, you'd think they would never love you. But here's the good news. There's a God who loves you just the way that you are. And you don't have to fix yourself up or make yourself pretty for him to love you because he can't possibly love you any more than he already does. And he showed that by Christ's death on the cross. Because on the cross, what Jesus did was he took the payment and penalty for all of our foul ups and our failures and our sin. And he took it on himself and he died paying the penalty for sin. And it says he rose again to give us a new life. And you can take that life, not because you earn it, not because you deserve it, not because you're a good churchgoer, but simply because God has made it available to you as a gift. And we, as a church, must always, always, always make sure that we are moving from religious performance toward grace. Because grace is our only hope. Would you bow your heads with me? Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California.